hold them like they do in Texas, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. I love it. Love game, intuition, play the cards with spades to start. And after he's been hooked, I'll play the one that's on his heart. Hello there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Games podcast for uh, mid-April. My name is Tom Chick, and my game of the week is not Galactic Strike Force. And my name's Jay Giddings, and my game of the week is not Twilight Imperium. Oh, whose is? Oh. <laughs> When's the last time you tried to play Twilight Imperium? Uh, that would be this past weekend. No kidding. Oh. Yes. Now, I, you know, it's, I, I, I think Twilight Imperium gets a bad rap as being, like, overly complicated. But the deal with it is it's just a super long, involved game. Um, it takes a real commitment. Um, is that some of what we're going to talk about in the course of talking about what you did this past weekend, Jay? It, it is. Um, okay. Because, because I, I attempted to play that for the first time with two other people who had never played either. Oh, Jay, no, that's not what you want to do <laughs> when you're visiting PAX, which is which is what you just did this past weekend. All right, well, we'll get into that in a second. Um, so, uh, Jay, your name might look familiar because you've uh, it's on a byline that folks will have seen at least once a week, um, actually exactly once a week, uh, when they go to the front page of quarter2three.com, um, and they see your name on the game diary for uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse, which we're going to talk about shortly. Mm-hmm. Uh but I'm assuming that that games like Sentinels uh, and some other things have inspired you recently to quit. It, was it a boring job, by the way? Was was your job boring? I, it, I had done it long enough that, that, yeah, it was time to change. So uh, what have you been doing since you quit your job? Tell us briefly about that, Jay Giddens. <laughs> I, uh, I, I started my own business, um, Pixel Pusher Productions. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find it on the web at pixeltipping.com, where I hope to uh, launch into indie game development. And can you tell us briefly, like, what sorts of games have inspired you? Like, I don't, actually, is this gauche to ask someone what kinds of games do you want? Like, what games have you played that are going to be like the games you want to make? I, I it, it, it's not gauche. Um, okay. I, I can tell you that that my favorite genre has has pretty much always been action RPGs, and, and as much as you know, I. I don't relish the idea of bumping into the space that Diablo shares. I mean, I've I've played games from from Stephen Peeler, and mm-hmm. you know loved everything he's put out, and and have some ideas that I would, you know, hope I can contribute to the space. Uh, now, in, Stephen in Peeler, for for folks listening, may they may not know him by name. His company is called Soldak, and uh, tell us some right. of the games that they've made that folks might recognize. Uh, Depth of Peril, um, mm-hmm. Kiwi's Underworld. Uh, he recently did a space one, and I'm blanking on the name. It's a terrible name. Uh, Stephen Peeler is awesome at what he does. <laughs> Naming games, not so good at that. Uh, it's Drox Operative. <laughs> yes, and that's 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 a fun one. And I, I love how he takes uh, existing mechanics and sort of turns them on their head, uh, especially in the way he makes the AI play against you, so that it's not just you interacting with the world, but the world's pushing back yeah. constantly, which is, is quite a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a fantastic innovation, like when he did that with... Uh, so Depths of Peril, and there's another one I'm blanking on, isn't there? That's very much like the, the follow-up to Depths of Peril. It's a little hardier than Kiwi's Underworld. Ted Gummit, um, maybe it is Depths of Peril that I'm thinking of, but uh, but that was one of the great innovations there, is that the dungeons didn't just sit there and wait for you to come to them. They, right. they would proactively do things to where you kind of felt like, well, I better get down there and do something about that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, uh, pick, t- tell me again the name of your company. Uh, Pixel Pusher Productions and uh, and the website because you know URLs are hard to get nowadays. I was going to say it's, the URL isn't the same as the company name. It, it, it is not because you know um, it, it is it is tough to find any 
anything that isn't taken that, that you know quarter to three dot com and is is, is amazingly uh, <laughs> short and concise compared to <laughs> what you have to get nowadays. So, so pixel tipping. Dot yes, com. Dot com. Mm-hmm. And you've got placeholder there, but in the future, uh, we can go there and we can uh, uh, keep track of, of what you're doing. Awesome. Uh, absolutely. And, and you will be the first to know. So. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, so I also want to say, uh, when I say your name, I don't know if you ever get this, uh, does does anyone ever bring up a famous movie in, in relation to your name? I, I, I don't want to spoil it, but only you so far. Um, really? Are you serious? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm serious. I can't say your name without thinking of this movie. Come on, how come you don't get that all the time? I, you know, I think because people for a long time thought I looked like John Cusack until I lost all my hair, so maybe that threw them off or, or something. So you uh, don't, so you don't like routinely when you're like giving your name at Star. I guess Starbucks doesn't ask for your last name, but like when you're <laughs> filling out paperwork, people don't make a Jake Giddis joke. Nope. All right. Well, I'm very disappointed that more people in the world wouldn't get immediately a Chinatown reference. That's very disappointing. Yeah. All right. I, I think it's just the, the generations have passed. It's a shame. No, don't say that. Oh, my God, we're so old, aren't we? <laughs> well, uh, Jay, you recently took some time off work uh, to go out to PAX East. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you live in Florida, so you went all the way up to – it's Boston, right? Yep. So you Boston. went all the way up to Boston, and how long were you there for? Uh, I got there Thursday night and stayed through Monday. And you went with some buddies, right? Yep, yep. Some college friends who, you know, needed some some time off of work as well, and and we palled around and tried to see as many games as we could fit in without standing in outrageous lines. Now, not your first rodeo. You said you've been to. Nope. This was your third PAX, right? Right. In fact, uh, my first PAX was PAX Prime a year and a half ago, and that's where I first, um, for later in the podcast, but first encountered Sentinels. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this time, uh, tell me about your three days with your buddies. So there's a few things that we'll want to touch on, but just uh, why don't you start at the beginning? What uh, tell us? You know what what it, what it was like. How how was yeah. this year's packs overall? It's it's good. Um, Boston's uh, an interesting setup. The the hotel uh, situation is pretty terrible because there's there's really only one or two that are close to the convention center, and then everything else is either a, an expensive cab ride or or public transportation. Uh, to get to the convention center, but once you're there, it's actually a nicer setup than Seattle because everything's self-contained inside the convention center. In Seattle, it's all spread out because they've sort of overgrown their boundaries. Um, yeah, you but spend they have a lot a, of time crossing the street, yes. <laughs> waiting on stoplights, don't you? And, and finding things in random hotels. Right. That, yeah. So um, there's but, this kind of almost zombie quality at, at the packs in Seattle, where there's people just stumbling around in the streets who aren't sure where they're going or how to get there, yeah. and uh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, but but this one's completely contained inside the convention center. So it's got the the great big expo, expo hall, and then off to the side they've got a giant uh, board game borrowing area, along with all of the board game vendors that are displaying their wares, and then you know a cafeteria. So it's it's really nice that you know when you get exhausted from all the noise and cacophony of the of the expo hall, you can move over to something a little bit quieter, mm-hmm. a, a little bit, um, and you know relax, rest your feet, and and recharge. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell tell me briefly about the friends that you went with. Um, just college buddies that I've known for twenty five years, and we're all big gamers. We game, you know, try still try to game every, every Thursday night together. Um, it, you know, family and work and all the responsibilities tends to cut down on your time that you can socialize. But have you traveled with these guys before? Uh, yeah, we've actually been to. They both went with me to uh, Pax Prime. Uh, oh, okay, so you knew that it was a compatible mm-hmm. situation. Okay. Yeah, I love I love my friends. Some of them I don't think I could travel with. 
<laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Uh, all right, so uh, so lots of options for board gaming. Uh, there's the big expo hall. Tell me first of all about this big expo hall. What's in there, and what on earth could you possibly have to wait hours in line for? And when you say hours in line, I presume you're exaggerating. You really just mean like 20 minutes, right? No, it's it's absolutely hours in line. The one I really wanted to see that never got a chance to see was Transistor from uh, Supergiant Games. Hmm? Uh, those are the folks that did Bastion. Um, they're coming out. Uh, Transistor comes out, I believe, in May. Uh, so they're sort of getting right there to the to the end. And wait a minute, as in next month, Transistor is next month. Yeah, that's oh, that's awesome, Jay. I love I love being on a self-imposed press blackout, not knowing <laughs> when stuff is coming out, and then discovering at a moment like this, hey, it's in a month. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. I would have assumed Transistor was like next year or something. Awesome. No, it's it's very exciting, and um and their line was never less than two hours long. In fact, it it's. It's funny, you, you would you would walk around looking for the end of the line, and you'd get to the end of the line, and a sign above the last person said, from here, two hours, and you're like, <laughs> What What were they showing in there? Just like uh, they, the game, was, or a level, a demo level? Yeah, it was a, it was a playable demo level, so I sort of peeked over the over the ropes, if you will, and, and watched somebody else play, and, and it, it looked like almost the, the beginning of, of the game, at least the first area. I don't know how it's sliced up compared to the, the final game, but... Uh, you know, it looked like a, a self-contained piece that that people would go in and sit down and play for a good ten or ten or so minutes. And is it basically just like another Bastion kind of thing? Or you know what? Don't tell me. I, I actually don't. Uh, I kind of don't want to know. I, I love knowing that it's on its way out. Uh, I love knowing it's the folks that did Bastion. But beyond that, I'm I'm happy to just be ignorant. You're you're ignorant too. So you didn't even get to play that first level. It's true. And and Bastion was so wonderful. I'm happy to just you know pick it up sight unseen and and enjoy the ride. I have another dumb question. Is it? Is it exclusive to some platform? Am I going to have to get a PS4? What's going on with that? I don't think so, but I, I haven't looked yet. I was going to wait until release date to, to figure that out. So I can hopefully play this on my PC, right? Yeah, I hope so. All right, I'm going to write it. I'm going to pen an angry missive if that's not the case <laughs> to someone. Uh, all right, what else was uh, was a really big draw in the Expo Hall? Um, I, well, Borderlands, the the pre sequel, was there, and that that drew a huge crowd. Um, you know, Gearbox is a big name, so tons of people lined up to try and get a glimpse at that. Um, it was all behind closed doors, so I don't even know if they were if they were playable. But the line was was ridiculous. Um, and then, you know, after that, I I sort of wandered around and, and really wanted to spend my time with the indie devs for for, for obvious reasons. Um, I was really, really happily surprised to run into um, the folks that did Endless Space. They've got two games coming out um, called Endless Dungeon and, um, I'm sorry, um, Endless Legend and Dungeon of the Endless. <laughs> Wait a minute, those are two separate games? Those are two separate games. Um, is one of them a dungeon crawl and one of them is an RTS? Uh, yes, one of the, the, the one that I really enjoyed, um, I got to play, I guess it's Endless Dungeon. Um, it's this weird hybrid of tower defense, roguelike... Um, retro, maybe not 8-bit style, but 16-bit style um, RPG that that you don't play the characters directly. Instead, you tell them to go open, explore the next room, fight the monster, and then you actually start building structures to take over various bits of the dungeon with the goal being ultimately to unlock all the rooms, to open the exit, and then carry tower defense style some object from the beginning of the level to the end of the level fighting off waves of monsters. Um, there was, I mean, in the in the demo I got, I managed to pick up a couple companions, had a merchant, um, built structures that used different resources. It was it was really really deep for you know the five minutes I got to sit down and, and play with it. And what what's the other one? So that's endless dungeon, right? Legends. And then the other one was endless legend, and that was uh, essentially endless space, but in a sieve. Um, 
you know, civilization master of magic framework. Uh, uh, in fact, their uh, their lore, as they, they explained it, was, you know, this is just one of the planets in the endless um, space universe, and on this planet there happen to be elves and orcs and wizards and magic, and um, it, it actually looked um, a lot like Civilization, uh, with the exception that combat was very similar to how Endless Space did combat, um, in that you didn't control anything uh, tactically, you, you set up orders at the beginning of battle, and then it just sort of played itself out. Um, and very and, cinematically too. Like that was one yes. of the strengths I think of Endless Space was, even though it was hands off in a way. Like Dominion's Four has very hands off combat, and it's very kind of right. uh, dry, and that you can look at all these numbers and be analytical. But uh, it was kind of like Endless Space wanted to entertain you in the course of showing you this stuff, and it made these really cool, beautiful space battles. Uh, so right. I like that they're doing that in in a, a more ground based fantasy context. Okay. Yeah, I, I did. I, I liked what I saw, but it was still very early, so it was hard to tell how they were going to, you know, sort of jazz it up. It did seem to suffer a lot from the same sort of very clinical menu style that Endless Space had that, mm. I, I, you know, didn't necessarily fit in the fantasy setting. Uh, right. The one thing I did think was was funny was they have a new mechanic where winter shows up and drastically changes, you know, the terrain um, movability and what you get for your for your cities. And at one point, he actually said, winter is coming, and I... <laughs> I had to chuckle. I was, <laughs> I was like, I guess you know everybody's seen um, Game of Thrones. Right? Game of Thrones. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. So, endless uh, legends. Oh, are they? Are they French? I think so. Okay. Yeah. Do you know no. the name of their company? If- Sorry to put you on the spot here. No, I should I should have looked it up before the okay, podcast. Goodness. I apologize. <laughs> but so okay, so they're they're doing more stuff. I in endless space, by the way. I uh, as I don't know if it was their first game, but it kind of felt like a first game, and that it had a lot of cool, stylish, sexy things to it, mm-hmm. and it also had a lot of uh, problems with it. But my my takeaway from playing endless space was I, I'm I'm curious to see where these guys go next. You know, this this was an interesting freshman effort. Uh, now let's see. Now that they've got some experience under their belt, what they're going to do next. And it sounds like it's uh, so there's there's some intriguing promise with those two. Yeah, yeah I mean it, it looks uh, it, it looks like there's there there could be some good things coming there. Um, I was like I said, I was I was really taken with uh, with Dungeon of the Endless or Endless Dungeon, and um, I was happy to find out it's actually available on uh, Steam Early Access. Um, I know you're not big into playing betas of games but if you know you go to a, a show like this most of the time you, you never get to actually play for <laughs> many moons what you see that gets you all excited so uh it's a shame about that name though because both the name and i'd say 80 percent of the description you gave jay sounds like every other indie <laughs> game clamoring for your attention right now <laughs> yeah it's it's true uh, it is a tough sell yeah uh okay so what else was uh, was big on the expo floor for you I I have to to laugh about this one because I I couldn't figure out why it was so crowded, but it was it was easily the most crowded thing in the indie indie space. Um, it was called Necro Dancer, um, and it, it it was it, I I I couldn't I couldn't fathom it, but essentially it was it looked like a roguelike that you played with a DDR pad, and as you danced left and right or up and down and encountered monsters, you had to attack them on the beat. Or move on the beat, and that created a, a mo- you know a modifier bonus, and it it was very stylish, and it had a line, maybe not quite as big as transistors, but but huge, and for the indie space, that was amazing. Who still has a dance pad though? That, I mean, that, that can hook I up. I have, I have dance pads that work on my PS2, but I don't think they would work with anything else. <laughs> All right, I, Necro Dancer. Well, 
well, props for the name at least. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was a creative name, and I, I had to laugh at that. Um, I liked. I, I got a chance to to look at. It. I didn't get a chance to play it, but um, Clie, uh or Clay um, has a new game called Invisible Incorporated that is. It, it looked very much like you took XCOM, but instead of making it combat focused, you made it all about stealth and corporate espionage, uh, with a '60s theme that reminded me very much of No One Lives Forever. So the the style was there. It was it it really looked great. And you know what I saw of the gameplay, I was I was super impressed and and interested to see how they could take it further. They said the story was going to be primarily doled out in you know uh, text you picked up in briefcases that you found and and audio logs. So you know we'll 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 see how how that comes along. But it's still it was still pretty early uh, for them. To, does it to be, does it seem kind of because it kind of sounds like their take on on Monaco. Is it that kind of thing? Yes, uh, okay. not not with the same you know graphical style, but but yeah, I I think Monaco played a little bit faster. Uh, this one seemed uh, much more methodical, much more like uh, like XCOM, where you know you could sit and plan out your turn and figure out oh. Okay. Oh, it's turn based. Okay, I guess. I, yes, yes. Sorry, it's it's, it's turn based. Okay, good, good. Um, all right, um, awesome. Any anything else leap out at you? Because I do want to definitely talk about what you did when you worked on the expo floor. That's true. I guess the bring up my notes here. <laughs> It was fun. I got to play a reporter, which was uh, exciting. Um, uh, did did your friends, by the way, stick with you the whole time, or did you guys do things like break and go in different directions? Uh, every once in a while, they would get tired of following me around because I I knew I was doing the podcast, and they were like, "Okay, well, we're <laughs> we're going to go over here and sit." Um, there, th- this one was impressive mostly because the tech just wowed me. Um, you know, I, I have a, a computer science degree, and sort of it always amazes me when somebody can make a computer actually do something useful. Um, so there was this game called There Came an Echo. It was from the folks that did Sequence, um, Iridium Games. I don't know if you've played Sequence. Sequence, that sounds familiar. It is. It was a um, it was a, a DDR-type game, but you played it with your gamepad where you were battling monsters in a dungeon in, in order to escape. It, it, very indie, um, sort of out of left field, but it, it was fun how they combined RPG mechanics with that. Okay. Um, but there came an echo was fascinating because it was again it was another in the XCOM mold, but there was no mouse or keyboard input. It was all done with voice. And what amazed me is you put the headphones on even in the loud expo hall and put the microphone up up to your mouth and talked, and it handled all of the voice input fine. There was no real appreciable lag. It didn't screw anything up. You know, you told Agent One to go to point two, Agent Three to go to point four. You know, similar to End War. Yeah. And it just worked. It, it, I, like I said, I was dumbfounded when I was done because I, I figured with the noise level they had there, there was no way at all it would, you know, function. Sure, sure. Good, cool. There came an echo. All right, that sounds yeah. intriguing too. And then um, I think that's it, except for the uh, the, the board game fiasco. <laughs> so what was the board game fiasco? So you have you, you mentioned there's this area that you can go off to the side and uh, it's like a board game library, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. you just check out. Uh, by the way, were there board games? Showing as well. Oh yeah, no, there were okay. there were tons. They had, um, uh, you know, the the Sentinels folks had had their latest Kickstarter there, Sentinels, uh, Sentinels Tactics. Tactics, and then they also had um, Galactic um, Strike Force, which is not my uh, game of the week, right? And right. by the way, speaking of uh, like Earls being taken, I cannot believe Galactic Strike Force is not taken. <laughs> I cannot believe there's already not a game. It's not amazing. Strike Force, that really is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you see either of those? I did. I, I got to play a, a demo game of Galactic Strike Force, and um, I, I, you know, I liked it. it. It's it's definitely different than Sentinels in that you know Sentinels comes with with those pre-configured decks. Um, this is 
actually starts you with just a very small kernel of cards that are specific to your your ship, uh, which is sort of like playing a hero. And then you actually buy cards that are out at, at various points on the map to, to build your deck and flesh it out. So it's you know almost a little bit if you wanted to take Ascension and, and mix it with, uh, with, with Sentinels to... Uh, you know, you got your chocolate and my peanut butter, I guess, uh, sort of scenario. I don't, I don't know if you've played this, but what it immediately re- reminds me of, I think, is a, where you start with a kernel of cards, and then you have a, a map where you run around and add more cards. Uh, there's a Martin Wallace game called A Study in Emerald, which is like that. Mm. Uh, so Yeah, no, I, I haven't played it. I want to I get it, but I, I haven't. Uh, there's just too many wonderful board games out there to, <laughs> understand. Understand. <laughs> to get. Uh, um, and uh, did you see any of Sentinel's, Sentinel's tactics? By the way, I, I it's it's doing very well for them on Kickstarter, and, yes. and bless their hearts, I couldn't be happy. It couldn't have happened to a nicer bunch of guys. Um, but I just have it looks like a, a miniatures boondoggle. It's I watched it I watched it played, and it it's tough to 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 wrap your head around. Um, it, it's very rules heavy, much more so than 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 Sentinels. Uh, it, it, and and because there's that opposing mechanic where you're not fighting a deck, you're actually fighting another person at the table. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it gets very into the intricacies of oh well, I can move over here. And yes, and so it's very tactical with where you are on what hex, and each side rolls dice to attack the other. Um, and you know you have opposed rolls and if uh, things like that. So right. it, it's a very different style of game. I don't think it's. I think the uh, the the theme and flavor is gonna is gonna appeal to a lot of Sentinels fans, but it's certainly the mechanics aren't aren't what aren't gonna bring you to the table. Could you tell? Is it? It's obvious. I presume it's not the superheroes fighting each other. Is it one player has a team of villains, one player has a team of superheroes? Uh, uh, no. In the demo game I saw, uh, Christopher Bedell, who's the the writer, was playing Baron Blade, and his goal was to sabotage six. Uh, it looked like power symbols. I assume like you know electrical. Uh, power plants on the map before the the heroes could defeat him x number of times okay. um, and there's this weird mechanic weird i just i guess i didn't understand it where you can knock down the villain but he's not actually defeated so it's it's a lot of stalling the villain so that you can put in that killing blow but not necessarily prevent them from you know getting up the next turn and running over here and right. you know furthering their goal but it's very much that same kind of asymmetry, a band of yes. superheroes against a super powerful villain. Yes. The Sentinels. Okay, good. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right, so other than that, you uh, you and your friends uh, <clears throat> availed yourself of the library there, and you had this silly idea, what, that you're going to... You're going to teach yourselves Twilight Imperium in an afternoon. Well, well not only Twilight Imperium, but the the first day we, I had been reading on on one of the threads on quarter to three about how awesome Trajan is, and so I was like, okay, we'll oh, pick that up. Stephen we'll Feld. Oh, I can't. You know what? I I love the fact that this guy. I love when a game designer is known by his name, like Martin Wallace and mm-hmm. Stephen Stephen Feld, whatever his name is. I uh, uh, that guy. Um, Chweedle Vladchov, I don't. What's that guy's name? Vladchov Chweedle. I'm, I'm confusing Chweedle at Geo4, uh, the actor. What's the right. guy who does uh, that horrible Mage Knight game? I, I, I don't know his name. I, I can't like, pronounce it. Yeah, so. I'm such a uh, an, an ugly American. It's something like Vlad Vladislav Chvadl or whatever. I love when game designers like that are known by their names. But I I have not met a Stefan Feld design that that works for me. Uh, and I know Trajan, Trajan, whatever. That's I think one of his more successful, at least better mm-hmm. games, right? Yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, it's the one that that people really go to because they think the theme and the mechanics blend well to to evoke, you know, the feelings of of Roman Empire. Uh-huh. And so you but, and your three your 
your two friends had never played it before, and you thought, let's play Trojan. How do you even say the name? Do we know? I, I was going to say Trajan, but, you know, it could be... <laughs> Trajan. Exactly. I guess it's not French. French. We'll call it Trajan. All right. So sure. you guys figure you're going to play Trajan, and, and how does this work out? Um, it, 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 it worked out... What I thought at the beginning was fairly well, where we, you know, it took a while to set the board up, and, and it, it reminded me of the podcast you had where you talked with, with uh, other board game designers about how to teach a game, uh-huh. because both this and Twilight Imperium really failed to get at the why. Like, it took us forever to figure out why we wanted to do a thing, not how to do it, but well, wait, so if it was s- even useful. Yeah, but you're sitting down, none of you has ever played before, none of you is the teacher, none of you knows how to play. Exactly. Jay, right. that's never a good idea. What's no, the matter with it, you guys? It wasn't. It wasn't. And um, <laughs> so we get we get through. I, I'd say the first two or three rounds of the game, and my friend um, starts using this mechanic and just racking up ridiculous points. And we're the 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 other you know my other friend and I are looking at each other like there must be something wrong with this game because he's <laughs> fifty points ahead of us and we can't stop him. And uh, and it turns out we had grossly misinterpreted how the uh, legionary and the the general work. Well, of uh, in, in scoring have. points. Yeah, none and, of you has ever played before. None of you knows what you're doing. Of course you have. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, I, I felt like, you know, once I was done, we, I could have I taught somebody and we could have played a good game and actually been competitive. But it was, it was funny to break it that bad and get to the end and go, oh, well, this is obviously not right. Well, I hope you're happy because you have now killed Trajan for three people who might have otherwise appreciated it if they played it correctly and had someone teach them. Yeah, fair enough. There you go. I'm, that's, me, that's, that's me reprimanding you, Jay. <laughs> Um, well, save your reprimand because Twilight Imperium was possibly worse. Well, did, um, does Trajan, by the way, isn't Stefan Feld, isn't one of his, his hallmarks, that little rondo or whatever you call Is there a little circle that you move things around? There is. Yeah. Okay, so I think, yeah, that's one of his uh, his defining features, I, I've heard, as, as a designer, is his games have that little rondel thing. Uh, and the theme is... Well, is is the Roman Empire. It's, yeah, it's, it's during um, you know, the, the, the rise of the Senate, so you're competing politically with, with the other players at the table. You're you know, controlling Roman legions, you're trying to build things and appease. Ultimately, each you know, every couple of turns, appease the masses so that you don't lose victory points from failing to meet some need they have right and i presume your friend who uh inadvertently abused the legionnaire mechanic or whatever was going on there i presume he won uh yeah by 50 or 60 points it was it was really bad now at what point once you realize you're playing wrong don't you say okay this game is we've broken the game we're not playing correctly we should stop or do you just power through how did that how did no that oh no one yeah no once we, we we went through and poured through the rules and sort of figured out the the, the subtle differences in paragraphs when it came to how you score versus how you take the chits, um, we we said, oh, okay, we've obviously messed this up. We'll we'll box it up and 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 call it a you know a I draw. See. Right, right. So, so technically, Jay, you've never really played Trajan. I think you got me there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, tell me about Twilight Imperium then, because I here's one of my the things I maintain about Twilight Imperium. It's a huge game. It takes a long time. There are a lot of rules that you have to learn when you play. Some of which are kind of weird, like like ship movement, for instance, has this weird idea that when you're doing movement, you don't pick up a ship and move it. You designate a, a destination, right. and any ship within range of that can move to the destination. And that's kind of weird and unintuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, I maintain that Twilight Imperium is actually a fairly, mechanically speaking, fairly simple. Um, that said, Fantasy Flight is awful, at awful, they're just terrible at writing rules. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's one of the problems. Um, so every time I've 
Twilight Imperium, there, there's like a mandatory hour of, of me trying to break down the rules and explain this stuff. And each of the individual rules is fairly simple, but there are a lot of them. I would never dream of throwing three people blind into it and saying, here, you guys figure this out. Is, is that what happened with you guys? Well, it, it, my one friend had picked it up because he had actually read the – he had it at home, had never played it, but had read through the instruction booklet once. Oh, good. Um, okay, he well, was, start. Okay. And, and yeah, and he felt like, oh, okay, I can, I can teach this. And, and like I said, I think the problem, especially with the Fantasy Flight directions, but even also with, with Trajan, was this lack of understanding why you would want to do a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in other words, we can get down the mechanics of uh, I can correctly move my ship or I can correctly purchase a planet, um, but why I would want to do that is – really was a mystery and so we did the entire setup and and arrayed the planets and created the galaxy mm-hmm. and because we didn't know like prestige points were super important in this one aspect of the game or uh you know resort like the way the nebula worked and would prevent movement in a certain direction mm-hmm. um we ended up you know sort of unfairly laying out the board and it, it oh. <laughs> really skewed the game pretty badly um and then it came time to actually do combat and it was only after a few rounds of combat that we were all like Oh, that's why you want fighters, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> Which is, you know, kind of a problem um, since fighters. They soak after we figured damage, out, or yeah, they they soak damage, and they're they're essentially your armor, um, for lack of a better right equivalent. So. Uh, and there's also a fairly rich uh, political sub system in that you can like break and violate and suspend oh, yeah. some of the rules with the politics which is one of my favorite things about twilight imperium um what well, was that an issue for you guys did you get to experience any fun stuff there oh oh yeah and it was it was because the the board was so lopsided that on, only one of us really had massive amounts of influence so when he would draw a political card he would just set the rule and, right. and win <laughs> and after two or three turns of that i was uh, you know the game was rapidly getting out of hand and um, did you play it through to, to the bitter end, or did you uh, also at some point give up? And- no, unfortunately, in that one, we got we got about four hours in and and had to to leave for dinner, and we had reservations, so we <laughs> packed it in and, and just you know declared him the winner and said, well, you know, at least it was a learning game. So. Okay, so Jay, if you and I are ever at like a convention or whatever, and there's a board gaming library. I'm not going to brook any of this nonsense about let's pick up something that nobody has ever played and let's all learn it at the same time. What yes. you got to do is you pick up something that someone knows well enough to teach the other two. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, and and I also I I just find that when you because I've I've been in the same situation. What did we went I went to a board gaming convention here. There's one near LAX, and me and some friends went to one of those, and we did the same thing. I mean, you see a game that you've heard about. And everybody's kind of like, okay, let's try this. And then you sit down and you're reading the rules. And it, the pacing is just like, okay, you do the setup. That's pretty straightforward because it tends to be laid out in the early part of the rules. And then you think, okay, let's just start playing. And we'll just figure out stuff as it goes. But then you get in these situations where like one person is like sitting, looking through the rules for how to do something. And the other two people are just twiddling their thumbs, waiting. And uh, it, it just kills any kind of pacing. I think even in an otherwise excellently paced game, that whole moment of like waiting for one person to yeah. page the rules and find something kills it. Um, I, I will. I will definitely confess to. At, at many times, we busted out our DSs so that we could get our puzzle pieces. It was kind of. Jeez. What uh, were those? The only two that you sat down to play while you were gone? Um, no, I, you know, once once we realized that learning a game from scratch was kind of tough, um, I taught uh, Ascension, and then I also taught Summoner Wars. Um, and those were, you know, I, I really enjoy both of those. Uh, played a bunch on, you know, online with folks in the forums, and and it was fun to, you know, teach my friends. And the nice thing about when you play live with people, um, 
and, and you're teaching, I, I tend to not mind losing. And in fact, I, I sort of like it when, if I'm teaching somebody new for the first time, I get so into teaching them that I'm not even really paying right. attention to the strategy. And then they, you know, trounce me and I'm like, well, they'll come back and play again next time. So. And they always think too, when you're the one teaching them, that you're the one who knows the game best. So if it's like, right. do I do I attack this friend or do I attack Jay? teaching me the game well naturally i should attack jay because he's better at the game but what they don't realize is that you're not paying attention to the game the same way you would be if you weren't teaching yeah yeah so so everyone listening if i'm ever teaching you a game don't attack me i'm <laughs> i'm i'm harmless go after everyone else yeah. uh are you normally the you're you're normally the guy who teaches games in your group um, it, it really just comes down to who's who's played it, um, and and in that instance, I knew Ascension and Summoner Wars were both super fast, and we only had like you know half hour, forty five minutes. So it was like okay, let's bust these out. And what do you know what the situation is these days with Ascension in terms of? Uh, I think I'm I got two expansions into it and haven't really touched it since. Uh, I've, have you played like the most updated recent? add-on uh yeah they had um they, they're actually one add-on past where i've gotten they had uh they had immortal heroes which is also up on the uh on the ios store and then there's two expansions past that and i haven't bought and uh, purchased the most recent one which what's is the a, one with a, the soul gem deck that's, that's immortal one. heroes okay so i've done that there's right. two more past that yeah, there's two more past that oh, lord uh and you haven't looked at either of those I've I've got one and haven't gotten a chance to get it out on the table uh, with other people. And then the most recent one I just saw for the first time at PAX and was like, oh, I can't keep up. <laughs> so basically, there there's two out and they there's one more at PAX that's going to be out soon. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, it was it was out for retail. They were selling it right there. So oh, it's so it's the second one of the two. Yeah, it's the second one of the two. Okay. Right. Um, uh, let me let me float this and see if you agree. Uh, I I I kind of hate playing Ascension with more than two players. Yeah. Oh yeah. You're okay with it, like you would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, no, it's okay. It, it like I I played it with uh, three when I taught it, and and it it's too hard to get a deck going with a strategy because those that extra two or three people you put in the round pull so much from the middle that that it sort of thins whatever strategy you're going to do. I, yeah. I really like it. It flows much better, and and you get more synergy when when you only get two people at the at the table. Yeah, and but you can't very well tell one of your friends, "Hey, right. make yourself scared. We're going to play Ascension." Right? <laughs> no, that that never works. <laughs> Uh, well then, let's let's segue then into uh, you've uh, you've played a lot of Sentinels of the Multiverse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have run, and I I've Jay, I find this uh, amazing that you could keep all this detail straight. You have run forum games yeah. um, where basically, you know, people play over the forum, and I know I've done one of these. I don't, I never really had the table set up in front of me. You were kind of responsible for tracking all that stuff, right? Um, uh, Tell me how you found Sentinels, first of all. How, how did you first come to Sentinels of the Multiverse? So um, this was a year and a half ago at PAX Prime. Uh, I was sort of tired of the uh, the main event hall. It was you know exhausting, especially toward the end of, I think it was on Sunday. And I was wandering through the board game area, and I, I got up to the booth, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen Christopher Bedell, but he's, he's got this really long hair. He almost looks like a rock star, except you know a little bit shorter. And... Um, Kind of a, just, an '80s rock star, though. exactly. Not and a he was out there, rock star. Yeah, right. And he was he was out there uh, hawking his game, and, and I walked up and I said, "So, give me the elevator pitch." And he was like, "Okay." 
superhero board game where each deck is a superhero of a different theme. The deck plays differently, and you play against a villain, and it's all co-op. And I was like, "Give me the demo," <laughs> and uh, and I sat down with one of their one of their volunteers who did a demo where he played Baron Blade at like half hit points, and I think I played Haka, and then someone played Legacy, and somebody played Tempest, and it was it was over very quickly. I mean, that's I think what the demo game is all about. But I just I fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. I you know it it just oozes charm, and and super, I'm I'm big into superhero mythology and just. Like, are you a that, comic so. book guy? Like growing up with comic books, that um, only really recently. Like I've, I've I've sort of gotten into comics and and things, and, and found I can't really afford to read comics like I would like. Um. <laughs> Wait, so I want to table real quick the discussion of Sentinels and talk about superhero mythology because I I think I'm like you, Jay. I didn't grow up with comic books. Superheroes were never that big a deal for me as a kid, but I've certainly become fascinated with it. Uh, as an adult, partly through things like the popularity of, uh, of movies, mm-hmm. uh, through certainly in gaming. Um, what, what's going on there that it only became interesting to you as, uh, after you were an adult? Well, I think, I mean, it, it, it's, it's partly exposure. I, you know, I mean, stuff like Watchmen didn't come out when I was, when I was younger, and, and it probably wouldn't have been appropriate when I was little, but, you know, I, superheroes like, like, like Superman or, or very, you know, generic good versus evil. I, I, it doesn't doesn't really appeal to me, and, and what I really enjoy is when somebody takes that superhero mythology and, and sort of flips the script and says, okay, now let's let's examine what would happen in the real world, or let's let's take a hero and and make him a villain and see the repercussions from that, and and examine you know the the, the darker aspects, or maybe you know put people in in interesting situations and then not give them superpowers, and and so this resurgence that we've had. With comic books, things like you know The Walking Dead become becoming huge, hugely popular, and and you know Mark Wade with his irredeemable and and um, you know it, it things like that I, mm-hmm. I've gotten really into. Um, over Tell the me last real quick what, what irredeemable is. I don't know. Oh, it's um so Mark Wade, from what I understand, did some Superman stuff uh, and then left DC and went and and did his own. Um, comic books with boom studios and so irredeemable I, th- I think i'm getting the name right is is essentially what would happen if you took superman and then gave him a psychotic break and had to deal with the most powerful being on the planet all of a sudden you know becomes the largest supervillain, mm-hmm. and and you know everything his friends who were part of the supergroup have to deal with and how they're you know running for their lives and and it, it's just it it's interesting to see because it's not something you could ever do with the Superman license. I mean, you know, DC would never allow you to do that. Well, so. you, you, you say that, Jay, but do you know there's a, a, a punch em, like a fighting game called uh, Injustice Gods Among mm. Us yeah. that uh, is a DC-sanctioned thing, and it's an alternate timeline kind of deal, but Superman flips out right. after he loses his, I think, his baby with... Um, Lois Lane, right. Lois yeah. Lane, right. Uh, and he becomes like a, a villain in this alternate timeline. Um, so you're right, it's not the one true Superman, I guess, but it's like an alternate timeline Superman <laughs> right. flipping out. So I wonder, is it, did Irredeemable obviously predated that? I wonder how much... Yeah, I, I believe so. I, it, okay. You know, I, I, and I haven't gotten a chance to play... Um, uh, the the fighting game I, I've always wanted to but I'm I, I used to be a fighting game guy back in the day but I can't keep up with yeah know, all the uh, combos and <laughs> the storyline is kind of this cute interesting thing but but it's still at heart you, you have to be playing a fighting game to enjoy right. it um, so to hear you talk like it reminds me because I I I think where I first started thinking hey these superheroes aren't, aren't all stupid and, and dopey and there is some interesting stuff here um, there have been a few movies that sparked that but I think of this uh, there was a 
an action RPG called Marvel Ultimate Alliance mm-hmm. um, that I, I kind of enjoyed as you know you're you're playing a Diablo style game, but instead of classes, you have the different superheroes and they right. team up. Um, I think that was one of my first like, hey, superheroes, these are kind of interesting. I want to know more about this guy and what's the deal with that guy and uh, I want this guy in my party. Um, and, and certainly with movies. I think what's happened is a lot of people who read comic books as a kid have grown up and they're using those comic books to tell more kind of mature, developed adult stories. Right. Um, and specifically, I, I think of uh, uh, Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight movie. That thing is a, is a Greek tragedy. You know, it's about like the and I don't want to get too highfalutin, but it's about, like, the tension between law and order, uh, mm-hmm. Dionysus and Apollo, like, it, and it almost even has a chorus in it. Like, the, the Dark Knight is not a comic book movie as I would have expected it to be. Uh, it's someone who this stuff w- was meaningful to him, and he grew up, and he basically used it to, to tell this this classical Greek tragedy. Uh, or I think of, you know, you mentioned Watchmen. Uh, I didn't know the comic book. I came to it through the movie. Uh, and I love what that does to upend the the classical comic book uh, storyline and tropes. Um, I, I found that hugely intriguing. Um, the fellow who was doing a movie this summer called Guardians of the Galaxy um, made a movie called Super uh, a couple of years ago, which was a superhero story where instead of having superpowers, the superhero is just kind of this, this insecure fellow who doesn't really know how to to channel his emotions, you know, it's a, and I I love these recastings of superheroes and it kind of makes me think of superheroes are for us today. What maybe the gods were in ancient Greece is here are these characters and we use them as, as common kind of placeholders to tell stories to each other. Um, and, and so that as an adult, that's why I find this stuff fascinating and why I can play something like Marvel Heroes or why I can watch a movie like The Avengers uh, and appreciate it in maybe not the same way, but just as much as someone who grew up reading the comic books. Um, so that, by the way, in, in you know, Sentinels of the Multiverse, the same kind of thing uh, is that even though they're not using a license, they're using these same kind of superhero tropes to tell these stories and to hit these narrative beats uh, that I find hugely intriguing. Uh, you do a much better job, for instance, of reading the backstory for some of these superheroes. Um, and, and you can kind of see, you know, this in a way, you could sort of maybe look at the Wraith and think, well, this is just Batman. But if you kind of read into it, th- they have enough creativity that that it, it seems like their, their superheroes have enough unique elements um, where they're not just, you know, ca- Legacy isn't just Captain America. The Wraith isn't just Batman. Right. Um, where there are different things going on with this. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it was, and I, I obviously I can't speak for them, but I, I can sort of guess that they needed to 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 have a springboard, right? They needed a common language to have with people before you would hand them this game and say, hey, these are superheroes. And when somebody says, well, okay, so what is this guy? Well, he's sort of like Captain America, but we've yeah. got all this really cool <laughs> stuff with him. You know, that way you have a, a, a common, you know, dialogue first, and then you can get them into the game and, and get them playing. Right. So, so folks listening have probably read some of the game diaries that we've written. Uh, they presumably know a bit about the, the basic mechanics. Um, uh, one of the things I want to talk to you about, Jay, is Sentinels of the Multiverse as a multiplayer game versus a solitaire game. Uh, 
Have you played it? Uh, you've obviously, I presume you've played it both. Have you pressed mm-hmm. your other friends into service for Sentinels? I have actually. The people who play the most with me are my my kids and my wife. Um, they were they were my victims when I first came home and was so excited about it. And I was like, Oh, you got to play this game here. Let's put this out. And, uh, how big and, are kids, by the way? Uh, nine and twelve. Oh, so that sounds perfect. Are they boys? Yeah. Uh, the twelve-year-old's a girl and the nine-year-old's a boy. And is, is your daughter into it? Like she's yeah, oh yeah. She's she's a, a tomboy at heart, and, and le, you know really really enjoys it. In fact, some of her favorite games are the one the, the zombie games that I have. So, <laughs> and now, now your wife obviously just humoring you, right? Or uh, she, she enjoys it. I, I think if she had more free time, she'd she'd, she'd enjoy it more. <laughs> but she's she's pretty busy. So, uh, so then tell me how it's gone for you. As so, let me just briefly unpack my experience trying to play Sentinels multiplayer. I've only done it a few times. Um, I, I hate co-op games that might as well be played by just one person. Um, and some folks, I think, call that the, the pandemic problem because there's the board game Pandemic where there's no real secret information, everything's on the board, and the, the classic description of the Pandemic problem is you then have one player who knows the game well and just tells everybody else, okay, you should do this, you should do that, you should do that. And he mm-hmm. basically might as well play it by himself. Um, and one way around the Pandemic problem, and this is true with Sentinels as well, is even if you know the game better than anyone else, just keep your trap shut and let other people play it. Uh, and, and suck it up and realize that you might lose. Um, so, But I don't... I, I would rather play something competitive or something with hidden information or a traitor mechanic. Um, so the few times that I've played Sentinels of the Multiverse with my friends, uh, I, I felt like I've either had to gimp myself or we've played without the advanced rule for the villain... Um, the first time I played it with some friends, it was just Baron Blade, the basic villain. We didn't use the advanced version, and we beat him handily, and everyone kind of shrugged afterwards. And was like, well, right. okay, it was fun, but so what? There was, it didn't really push back. Um, so I've had, I've, I've had trouble bringing this to the table with my friends, personally, as a multiplayer game. Uh, sounds like you've had a great context as, as, as a, with your family, though, to share this with them. Yeah, I mean, I think the one way to get around, I mean, especially with Sentinels, but to get around that problem is to have somebody willing to run the game, but not necessarily railroad the players. Um, you know, I'm. I, you can probably tell from the write-ups, but I, I really like getting into the story and sort of trying to tell a story with the game. So I will absolutely play, you know, while I'm playing cards, I'll be like, okay, and Baron Blade puts out his Blade Battalion, and like, I'll start to narrate it to the kids. And, um, and you can get away with that with, you know... With, with kids but like if you did that with your friends they'd probably look at you funny <laughs> um but but then then what you do is after you play your turn or, or play the villain turn or play the environment then you let the other player sort of get into the story and start to express it and so the the, the trick is knowing when to, to to back out and let them enjoy the narrative and, and become part of it I, very similar to almost a, a tabletop role-playing yeah. game yeah i can see that yeah. uh do you can your kids handle the advanced version of villains? Yeah, yeah. Although, oh, uh, get out of here! Come on, you're just saying well, that you're doing that proud father thing. Where yeah, my kids are awesome. Come on, your kids cannot beat advanced villains. They're nine and they, twelve, Jay. They they can totally do it. They don't like to do it though because you lose more often, and ah, they don't like to lose. So <laughs> fair enough. You know, it's uh, it, like for example, it it took forever to get um the chairman on the table because they saw that he was a four in the rule book, and they were like, oh, that's it. We don't want to play him. 
So. Uh, what now? What about your two friends that you went to PAX with, with and your your weekly gaming group? Have you tried Sentinels with them? Yeah, in fact, I um when I got that demo back at PAX Prime, I I immediately grabbed them, pulled them over, and said, "You've got to see this game," because they they both have uh, kids around the same age, and and we were like, "You got to buy this game," and and. It, the Sentinels guys laughed at me because I, I, you know, I was wide-eyed at that point, and you know, yanked my two friends over and said, "Just give them a demo. I swear they'll buy the game." And sure enough, they did, and uh, and they've they've enjoyed it with their family. I mean, it's the same scenario where you play with the kids, and and they really get into telling the stories and and messing with the mechanics. So then, on your Thursday night gatherings, though, is that not the sort of game you would normally play? Well, no, because they're. You know, none of them live, and one lives in Miami, the other lives up in Maryland. So it's it's primarily MMOs. Uh, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. I end up playing. Okay, I thought Thursday okay. night was like a board gaming night. Yeah, no, I okay. wish. Oh, that'd be so nice. <laughs> uh, move out here to LAJ, and you can join us. We're Absolutely. we're also every Thursday night. Uh, so, um, all right. So then, another thing I want to talk to you about with Sentinels, uh, when you've run these forum games uh, that have required tracking all the detail. For uh, I guess each of the forum games have had five players, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Uh, yeah. Aren't you keenly aware uh, that Sentinels of the Multiverse has what is perhaps the worst interface of any board game ever? How's that for a leading question? By the way? <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I, I think uh, I, I'm not quite as harsh on it as as, as you are, but but it is true that it is is tough to follow all of the rules interactions, I actually feel it much more keenly when I'm playing these solo matches because trying to keep it all straight in my head is, is tough by myself. It's it's actually nice when, when you play on the forum and you know you post a, a turn and then three or four other people look at it and go, oh no wait, you, you messed this part up here a little right. bit, so let's go back and redo it. Right. Um, but but yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's a game where you have to be willing to put in the effort to sort of get the story out of it. It's not... Uh, it's not something simple like chess that's, you know, you've, you've got maybe 20 rules, period, and then it's, you know, just all the interactions. Well, I don't, I, I don't mind so much the, uh, like, I like how ambitious they get with some of the rule sets and with some of the different villains and how that changes the, the gameplay. Uh, my main problem is that because it's their first game, everything is expressed in just text. You know, you can't, a, a good game interface, and I'm, Unfortunately, I don't think the word interface gets used in in board games as often as it does in video games, and it should be used in board games. But a good board game interface, you should be able to look at the table and intuit certain things and be able to tell certain things and see a kind of a flow. Or uh, and, And a good board game interface will do this. There is no attempt whatsoever to, to model that in Sentinels of the Multiverse because everything is text. And, and one of the ways, for instance, that a good board game interface works is it'll use icons or it'll make the layout of the card somehow convey information. There is no attempt whatsoever to do that in, in Sentinels of the Multiverse. Like, for instance, a, a villain might have an effect at the start of the turn, at the end of the turn, or during... I guess the turn proper. It goes start of turn, turn, end of turn. Right. These are three discrete phases on the, the villain's turn. And yet, the text is always going to say, at the start of the villain turn, do blah, blah, blah. That word, th- that phrase, at the start of the villain turn, should be an icon, I feel. Like, there should be an icon that says, or it should be located somewhere on the card, so that you can look down and see when this executes. Um, and I, I just feel like uh, the guys at Greater Than Games, because this is their first game, like that's such a that, that's such a kind of a rookie mistake. 
is to not be able to express the gameplay in an intuitive way. And instead, they're basically, when you look at a table of Sentinels of the Multiverse, you're basically looking at a rules book, a manual, mm-hmm. cut up into paragraphs and scattered randomly around the table. And I think it's just the uh, almost literally. I guess I could probably think of something worse, but I do think it is almost literally one of the worst board game interfaces I've ever played because I love the game so much. You know, if there's another game with a worse interface, I probably just haven't played it and don't care enough to play it. Right. Um, uh, so there you go. So play Devil's Advocate now. Uh, yeah. No, I I think because I think the problem is is that it's not it it doesn't really fit into that traditional board game role i mean it, it it is a game where you have cards out and you've got you know the procedural rules and stuff but I, I i do really like my analogy where you're almost playing a story and uh and and the text is is just helping you navigate all those different interactions that the villain and the uh the hero would have but to to be fair once i got my play test of uh galactic strike force i had to laugh because when it comes time to to figure out where you are in the resolution of the various phases um they will say okay it's the action phase now look across the board and find all the cards that have the a icon and i was like oh well you know i I actually looked at their page for galactic strike force and it did seem like they are they're getting a little hipper to this idea of using icons or expressing information uh so when you say you you saw that and you went ugh, do you mean ugh? Why didn't they do that in Sentinels or ugh? This is such a bear to handle. No, it was it was more just a, a, when you really really like something, um, you tend to become emotionally invested in it and defend it irrationally, <laughs> even when it's not, you know, even when clearly it has its warts. And and so it was it was interesting to see them grow up. But I was like, oh, it would be so nice if you could back you know backport this into Sentinels. Oh right, and, exactly. Yes. You know. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know. So. Uh, all right. Let's get down to brass tacks, Jay Giddings. Okay. Who's your favorite hero in Sentinels of the Multiverse? <sighs> That's tough. I, no, it's uh, not. It's asking, come on. Come on. Asking Seriously, you to have, you never, have you never... No, don't give me that. You, when you sit down to play, if you can only play one hero, surely you know. Surely you care enough to know this is who I would pick. Really? For yeah, you, it's I, like there's some you like equally? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would, I would say if I, if you, if you, if you force my hand, I, I would have to probably go with. Um, I really, really like uh, Argent Adept when it works. Um, it's one of those heroes though that can punish you uh, if you get a bad card draw. I mean, I in that most recent forum game we played, um, I forgot who played him, but it, it, it toward the end. I, the the effects were just cascading. It was this wonderful thing to watch where it was like, okay, you take a turn and you take a turn right, and right. you play a card. So. I think it's most fun when I can make the game better for everybody else, and then everybody has a good time, and I'm, he's the perfect hero for that. And by the way, he is very much this... Uh, he's a bard, basically, and he's like a yeah. bard class in a, in a fantasy game where the bard is just doing awesome support stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really like how Greater Than Games kind of expressed that uh, with him. I, I hate playing him just because you get turns where like you can't do anything. Right. Like yeah. Nothing is coming together, and everybody else is popping off powers and doing great combos and you're just sitting there going, oh god, give me drums or a flute or something, I can't get anything going. Uh, that's yeah, just so frustrating. I, I have to laugh too, because in, in, in my mind he's he's sort of the good version of Absolute Zero, where Absolute Zero has the same trouble, but when he gets going, he makes everybody else look bad. Um, because he's like, okay, I do 10 damage to the villain, I heal right. 5 points of damage, and, and, you know, and everybody else is like, well, you're a showboat. And, yeah. So... Uh, I have to go with for my favorite, and I don't think this is any secret. I just love how simple, effective, just direct, straight to the point. She always has something to do. Uh, I love the Wraith. Yeah. And it feels like kind of an easy mode. Um, 
but she's, you know, just get out that little uh, razor ordinance and micro-targeting computer and utility belt, and you just do a lot of damage, and you're immune to a lot of damage every turn. If you do those two powers, I love how she's got that trust fund card to to just get things, you know, get a bunch of cards in her hand. She's got that awesome impromptu invention card, which is, hey, you know, pick out any equipment you want and play it. And you know what? While you're at it, go ahead and play another card. Um, just the Wraith is such, like, an easy mode character. Uh, that, that, that's who I would pick. Right. Uh, Don't forget that infrared eyepiece. That's, uh, that's just awesome. And when that awesome. comes in handy, no kidding. Yeah. But so here's another concern I have, and maybe um, just let me know how you feel about this. So I feel like a lot of thunder is getting stolen from some of the original heroes by some of the more advanced heroes that they're adding. Uh, and I sort of feel like, hey, my Wraith isn't like that unique anymore. And if I really want to just do a lot of damage, I should play Knife instead of Wraith. Um, I kind of am concerned that, that some of the new heroes replace some of the old heroes. Uh, is that something that you've experienced? Do you just feel like I'm off base with that? Is that a concern you share? How do you feel? No, I, I think you're you're absolutely right, and it, it, it's pretty obvious this is almost going the way of of what happens in comic books in general, where you have power creep because the interest is to make a villain that's more threatening. But to deal with the more threatening villain, you have to have more powers than the superheroes. And and I think what's going to happen is you're going to see expansions come out where the villains are, you know, level five, level six, level you know, however they want to designate it. And to deal with that, you need villains that can do damage, can do support, can do you know, and once you have those heroes, you know, why would you go back to a, a visionary or, you know, a, a wraith? And, and that, yeah, it makes me a little sad because I, I love them all and, and, and have so much fun playing with them. But it, it would be terrible if, you know, you brought three of the, the early heroes and you bring them to the, you know, the villain in the last expansion and just there's, that's it. There's no way to win. I, if, okay, greater than games, if you're listening, I have a solution that would be dirt cheap it would be simple and it would shut me up uh for for that whole power creep thing all you have to do and uh, this is so easy i I even feel so cheap bringing it up all you have to do introduce a scoring system (laughs) like okay if if you use wraith Mm -hmm. you get uh double points if you use knife you only get single points uh and, and so add either like some kind of scoring system that has to do with what heroes are there against what villains and here's how many points you got for the match if you could just get someone to crunch some numbers then you can power creep your hearts away and i won't mind because i'll play for you know to see how i can get the most points uh i kind of wish they would do something like that yeah it, I, you know i i really liked what they what they had on the, the website that they've it never really seemed to, to take in the direction, but was actually adding story challenges. So not oh, yeah. only you know was it you know points, but but the idea that that you had new chat like so it's it's not just roll three random heroes and a villain, but now you have something to do right. along right. with beating them, and you know that can add so much more flavor to uh, to what's going on. Yeah, exactly. Okay, who is your most hated villain? Probably Akash Buddha. If hey, I'm that's what I was going right. to pick. It was just oh yeah. god, that one. Uh. Okay, why is Akash Buddha? What problem do you have with her? She's just a tree. It's like fighting yeah. an ant. What's your problem? I'm a I'm a computer science guy, and and I I love a, a stack or a queue as much as anybody else. But the way those a what? What do you call a stack or queue? <laughs> it's uh, data structures in computer science. But the idea that with her powers, as you as you fire off a, a limb or or one of her you know uh, primeval explosions, and all of a sudden now you've got 
you know, card effects within card effects within oh, the, card oh, effects, right. and you're trying to resolve them out. It's like the nested uh, rules. That exactly. Right. exactly. Oh. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I love the concept, but uh, it is such just mechanically, it's so hard to track, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I just I end up screwing it up, which is always makes me feel bad when there are other people at the table, and I'm like, okay, wait, we got to back all this out, and you know. So. Uh, it does make me. I, I know they're working on an iPad version, and I'm not exactly sure what they're doing with it, or they've they've handed it off to another company. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does make me think. I, I can't wait till a, com- a computer can track a lot of this stuff for me. Yeah, yeah, I needed that in our Matriarch game. That's for sure. Uh, which uh, I so I I think I love the Matriarch. I, I just love how unique yeah. she is. The, all those little one point birds, and I remember first reading. So I can always tell. Uh, and I've been experiencing this as we've been doing the game diary, uh, where once a week we're doing a different villain, and this is going to run until we run out of villains. Every time I pull out a villain uh, and I look through the cards, um, if the cards are in alphabetical order, I realize, oh, I've never played this villain before. Uh, and that happened with the Matriarch. My first game against the Matriarch was the one that uh, – I th- actually, I think I did a couple of test games, but the one we wrote up was one of my first games against her. Um, and I remember first reading the Matriarch – and thinking, wait a minute, I must be reading these rules wrong, because it looks like almost every single one of her cards could come out in one turn. Yeah. That's crazy. I'll, I'll get into it later. And then I put it back in. So when I came back to it and was playing it with you, like that was kind of this cool concept, is that all of these freaking birds come out, and you've got to manage all of them. Yeah. And it's not something that you really – like even there's the, uh, there's the rat guy that I remember thinking, oh, he'll have a bunch of little rats out. But he works more on this plague mechanic. Um, but yeah, like having it's like getting zerged almost. It, it's almost like playing an RTS where you, you're just like a turret defense game almost. You're just yeah. holding back a ton of these little tiny creatures. Uh, and I love how they express that with Matriarch. And I, you know, I mean, the 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 thing that amazed me was how well it worked with Tachyon, her nemesis. Yeah. Uh, in that most of Tachyon's cards are very small damage dealers, but in this case, it, it you know it, they blend wonderfully, so you get these epic battles of of the super speeder just trying desperately to catch all the birds before they you know take out the rest of the team, and she's summoning more, and it's well that hypersonic assault in specific, yeah. and it's something that we both mentioned in our write up. Like that immediately, I thought, well, man, this card is tailor made to deal with the matriarch. Um, and I'm sure there are other heroes where you could find these cool synergies like that. But yeah, when Tachyon was in there, I was like, well, you know, this is the token nemesis hero that I've got to use, and she's yeah. just going to drag me down. But yeah, like the light speed barrage can always be helpful, but that hypersonic assault, perfect for all those freaking birds. Yeah. Um, all right, let's see. How about, um, I guess we haven't done it for the write up, but I remember really, uh, when, when we, uh, I sort of played a game against Spite, and Spite yeah. is the idea is that he's kind of like a, a Bane character, and that he uses drugs to enhance himself, and he's a crazy psychotic killer. Uh, and there's even a card that Spite has where it, it, Spite will attack innocent bystanders, and one of the innocent bystanders, it seems like it's a little child. And I remember uh, explaining the game to um, my roommate, his nine-year-old son, and I, I love showing him the cards, and he's fascinated by them. And I remember showing him the innocent bystanders, and there's one of them of spite holding the hand of a little kid, and my roommate's son saying, wait, what's going to happen here? <laughs> Me kind of glossing over it and saying, oh, I think he's going to kidnap that kid or something. But I think the implication is that spite is a serial killer, and he's killing these people. 
so the way the game diary was born is I kept playing games against Spite, trying to figure out how to beat him. I, I posted something about it on the forum, and then Jay, I think you you got in there and we were playing games yeah. against Spite, and from that we decided to do uh, this game diary, and we haven't done Spite officially yet. Um, but this was born from this idea of, okay, here's this he- this villain. He has this unique mechanic. I'm having a hard time figuring it out. I'm just going to play over and over with different heroes until I kind of solve this, uh, this puzzle. Um, so f- for me, Spite was kind of uh, an early... Uh, like, I, I hate this guy. I hate what this guy is doing. Because before I've played and I've lost, and I've kind of shrugged and thought, okay, whatever, I'll try someone different another time. But right. Spite was my first time basically beating my head over and over against a villain until I solved him, until I figured out how he worked. Um, so he is kind of my favorite in that I hated him most first, I think. Um, yeah, um, I I really like the, the drug mechanic, but it's one I don't like to spring on people who haven't played a lot because it, it takes... The one complaint I would have about it is it sort of takes all the flavor of a, of a villain deck and removes it entirely once he flips. And then it's just five cards, the same five cards every turn. You do the same five you know, right. things for the, for the villain, and it's very puzzly and, and sort of doesn't show off the, the, the wonderful intricacies of, of, of you know, a villain flipping back and forth and you know, having different sides and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, uh, before you play a villain or hero, do you go through all the cards, or do you ever... Do you have a preference to just play blind and see what happens? No, I early on, you know, especially since it was just playing here with the family, and I needed to know what the the villains did in order to to try and run the game. So I would I would just go through and try and familiar familiarize myself with the cards. I you know I don't do it necessarily to pick the best heroes or you know what environment would would be perfect with it. It's just more to make sure I can handle the the, the rules as they come in. Right. I I'm the, I'm the same way. I I. I remember once playing with uh, some friends of mine and saying, okay, here are the heroes. Uh, sort of pick one that looks interesting, and I'll tell you briefly about it, and maybe if it's super complex, I'll, I'll wave you away from it. And th- that's my way of basically trying to get people to play characters like Wraith or Legacy that are more straightforward, steering right. them away from Arjun Adept. Uh, but one of my buddies was like, oh, who's this Absolute Zero? And I'm like, well, he's kind of like Iron Man, but he's got this complex stuff going on. You probably don't want to play him. And he's like, no, I want that one. I was like, oh, are you sure? It's kind of weird. It can be tough to get going. He's like, no, no, I want that one. So I gave him the cards. And I was like, okay, uh, look through there. Maybe look at a couple of the cards. Here's a couple of them I want you to especially pay attention to. He's like, no, no, I'm just going to play it blind. Oh, my. <laughs> I was kind of like, no, don't do that. And he actually did fine, but... Uh, I'm totally, like, I before I play a villain, before I play a hero, I like to look at all the cards. I'll even group them by the type. Like, I love being completely analytical to all the pieces right. in there and sort of looking at how they might interact. Um, uh, yeah, like, uh, this whole going in and playing blind, you know, I don't want any spoilers or whatever. It, that's not how I approach Sentinels. Uh, and I respect anyone who does that, but I, I can't do it that way. And it's especially tough if you want to play on advanced mode. Um, yes. You know, going in blind and, and just picking three heroes at random. I mean, as much as I wanted to defend that concept that that the three, you know, any three heroes could take on any villain on advanced mode. I mean, the more I play, the more I'm thinking. Sure, if you have an infinite number of games to play, you might you know <laughs> scrounge one up that's lucky. But there there are definitely uh, villain mechanics that just destroy certain heroes and and can make a game really unfun. 
Well, and even specific cards. Like, I'll look right. at a villain deck and, and see a particular card and think, oh, I need something to deal with this. You know, I cannot risk this card coming out without me having somewhere in store some sort of a counter or some sort of way to deal with it. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I like knowing what that is. And also, by the way, uh, the environment decks. I look very oh, yeah. carefully at those. And it's part of why... Uh, I've been rolling randomly for an environment every time because the environments are a huge modifier to basically how much of a pain in the ass the villain is going to be. And you can really make a game super harder or super easier based on your environment. Um, And so I I definitely want to know what's coming out with the environment deck. Um, But that is why I'm rolling randomly. Now, are you... You're doing like thematic environments, right? Yes, I'm. I'm trying to fit to as, as cheesy as it is. I'm trying to fit to the backstory if there is one, or, or come up with something that I know will be interesting. And I got really lucky with this last one, pairing uh, the matriarch up with Atlantis. Um, I, I, you say cheesy, but no, I don't. Come on, please. I mean, I'll I'll <laughs> I'll sort of ding them for some of their rookie mistakes and gameplay failings and stuff. But I, you know, playing Sentinels of the Multiverse for the narrative. Uh, thrill of it. There's nothing cheesy about that at all, and I'd argue it's its main appeal. Yeah. So yeah, no, I'm totally on board with you. Just sort of picking whatever environment you like. Yeah. And my rule is is not risky unless I'm really feeling abusive to myself, because uh, as as far as environments go, that's that's nasty. Wait, say say that again. I lost you on something. I I, uh, I I try to stay away from Rook City unless I'm looking to really challenge. Oh, oh Rook. Yeah. Now wait, what's the problem with Rook City? Is the one that has the in, the uh, forensic detective and the, or the forensic yeah yeah that has the two good yeah. guys in it and then otherwise people who are just jerks to you. Right. right. Everything else is bad and and especially with the villains as they get harder and harder it makes them just infinitely more difficult. Right. Now you mentioned one and I I do agree with you. This one's kind of boring. That mobile defense platform which. Was that in the Vengeance expansion? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I love kind of... It, it's a great example of, of how I, I think, you know, for as critical as I can be at Greater Than Games, how they really have their, their stuff together when it comes to expressing certain ideas. And I love that mobile defense platform for how it seems like such a non-entity for so long, but then when it gets going, and it just requires, you know, you've got these, these uh, very kind of weak combat units and there's only a couple of them in there and they come out and you swat them down whatever no big deal but what the mobile defense platform does is it slowly builds an infrastructure to protect these guys so as it's building up this infrastructure and you're like whatever i'm over here fighting the villain let that thing go and then maybe one of the little uh henchmen comes out and he's suddenly attacking you from this super entrenched defensive position and that's the mobile defense platform like i like how it might be a non-entity for most of your battle but if it comes into play it comes into play in a big way and suddenly you've got an annoying little henchman plinking you for damage and almost no way to deal with them right. I, I love that um and and i you know i i really enjoyed it i think my uh my one mistake when I played it was I played with uh, Parse, who has a bunch of cards that let you just simply destroy an environment card. Yeah. So yeah. It, it lets you sort of bypass all of that, you know. So I would just – it didn't matter how many shields were out there. I was like, yeah. oh, okay, I'll just kill the henchman. And, and that, you know, thematically wasn't, wasn't quite as fun. I remember being so disappointed in an early game. So the, the Wagner Mars base has that self-destruct sequence. Yeah. And it comes out and it's it, it sets up a little timer. And if the timer runs out, and you can add time to it, but it, it involves burning a turn, if the timer runs out, everybody dies. And I remember being so thrilled at that card and thinking, oh, cool, this, this new mechanic. 
and then seeing Tempest's flash flood just gets rid of it and thinking, oh, well, that's kind of disappointing. <laughs> but that's that's the nature of these trumps and, and counter yeah. trumps. Uh, yeah. Uh, most hated environment then? Do you have one? Rook City? Yeah, probably Rook City. Uh, you know, again, just because it's it it ratchets the challenge in some ways almost up to an unfun level, especially as you play those those tougher villains. Um, it, I, I prefer things that, that add to story without necessarily just, you know, punching you in the face. Right, right. I, I'm going to, uh, for a similar reason, maybe call out uh, Final Wasteland for the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's just like throwing so many extra monsters, and so many of them are tough. And, uh, you know, I love it when the, when the environment and the villain deck fight each other. That right. allows for some awesome possibility, and we've seen some of that in our game write-ups. Um, mm, I do love some of the rooms in Atlantis. Like, you just had that... Um, uh, what was the the Atlantean power forge? There, there's yeah, a the couple Atlantean of like mystical power, yeah. right? And isn't there some phosphorescent chamber that does crazy things oh, yeah. down in Atlantis? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love some of those. I actually, I didn't include it in my write up, but I when in our in our game where I was fighting the matriarch on the Wagner Moon base, early on there's a card called Meteor Storm, which when it comes out, it just says, okay, every single card immune to damage. <laughs> and I'm not sure yeah. how that fits into a meteor storm, but just the possibilities that opens up for early on being, well, okay, I'll just take advantage of this lull and get some more cards into play. Uh, I do yeah. love when environments do things like that. I, I keep imagining the story of, you know, everybody on the Mars base going, oh my goodness, there's rocks falling from the sky and, you know, hiding in the corners. And I guess that's and, the idea is they're all cowering, waiting exactly. for the rocks to blow over. Yeah, uh, I, I would have to say that, that probably my favorite story-wise, just for its goofiness, is Silver Gulch. Um, you know, with with the cowboys, the the sheriff, and then the outlaws, and the, the brothers. There's like named brothers, right? right? The named yeah. brothers. So it's like why you know Wyatt Earp and the and and whatnot. And then you get you get these crazy powder kegs on wagons and oh, right, tumbleweeds and yeah, yeah. So it, <laughs> yeah, it no, definitely. So, so let me ask you about this. So Silver Gulch, mm-hmm. you're not going to get that in any. You're not going to get it in the core set. You Maybe are not. You go ahead and add, and you buy the um, Infernal Relics or Shattered Timelines add-on. Maybe you buy Vengeance. Oh, you're still not getting Silver Gulch. So there are a few things you can only get directly from Greater Than Games. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm sort of surprised. I think what it was, I, I suspect they were like they had this great idea and couldn't figure out where to fit it in, in the expansions, and we're like, we really want to bring it out, but it, it just doesn't fit thematically in these things. So you know, here, just buy it. It's Five bucks, get a deck. Um, I, you know that that doesn't bother me near as much as the promo cards. What are the promo There's, cards? Oh, okay, so the promo cards are things they put out as sort of bonuses for when you did the Kickstarters, um, all the way back to the to the first one, which was the enhanced edition. And it's typically either a hero or villain alternate um, alternate card for their basic powers and, and essentially what? their comic cover. And um, what do you mean alternate? Like just alternate artwork? Well, here's a good example. So Legacy, this is also the Holy Grail, and I'll get into that in a second. But So Legacy's alternate promo from the very first Kickstarter is Young Legacy. So it's actually, you play his daughter. It doesn't change the rest of the deck, but the comic book covers a picture of his daughter, and the power is she does, one one target takes three energy damage. And she has, I think, whoa, whoa, whoa. the Wait, same number what? of hit points. Yeah. Nobody does that much damage with their basic power. Like, I remember being astonished when Knife came out, and her right. default power is two points of damage. Nope. Uh, Legacy's, first of all, supposed to be a support character. I, I know. I don't like you don't have one of these, do you? If you have it, I, I, I uh, insist that you throw it away. 
I well, you probably shouldn't do that because they, they go on eBay for about two hundred dollars. Um, Good lord! The the, the the super fans of of greater than games um, really really love that card, and it's it's rare because it's out of print. And that's that's I think the one thing where they appeal to the collectors. Every time they come out with a new expansion and they they do a Kickstarter, they'll create promo cards that are only for the people that back the Kickstarter to get it you know get it funded and made. Um, so they've got I think every hero has at least one if not two um promo cards or at least that's going to be the end now the good news for you what i've read uh, fairly recently is that at the end of all of the expansions when they're done they're going to print an expansion that is just the promo cards i don't even want them get those away from me <laughs> uh yeah i don't know how i feel about that uh, there shouldn't be multiple like i guess if it's her daughter eh. Well, you know, I mean, the story is that that you know, legacy. Every time, every new iteration of legacy has has new powers. I know, and, and I love how it's expressed in the cards, and you see and some cards NBA. with her. Right. Um, uh, I don't know how I feel about that because I do like uh, I, I I like this idea, and the game lends itself to it. You, you know, we might fuss in the computer gaming world about things like. Uh, you know, downloadable content and how oh, developers are just holding back content and selling it to you separately. And but I do like the possibilities it opens for certain games. And I feel that Sentinels of the Multiverse is ideal for that kind of thing, where they're just going to make you know what? Here's a new environment for three bucks, or here's a new villain deck for five bucks. Um, and I like supporting them that way. I wish they didn't charge so much for shipping, uh, right. but for for the basic just concept of it. I really like how it's modular and how as they come up with stuff, they can just make it available separately. Um, like the Scholar. You know, I haven't played the Scholar. You've used him. Uh, I loved buying him and just looking through those cards and thinking, wow, this is this is clever. I'm, I'm happy to support this. Um, and, and I think, by the way, isn't uh, Final Wasteland that was also... Yep, available on the online. Yeah. yeah, I believe so. And 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 I will tell you this: it's very funny when you when you take the scholar out and try to explain to a nine year old. Oh, it's like the <laughs> dude from the Big Lebowski, and they just look at you with a blank expression. So wait a minute, is that what they? I was thinking it was like a Jerry Garcia kind of deal. Do you think yeah. it's a Big Lebowski nod? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's the dude. I mean, he's in the bathrobe and. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that is so awesome. I like him even more now because I'm not a Grateful Dead fan. So uh, awesome. <laughs> All right, great. Uh, all right, so uh, Sentinels of the Multiverse. Uh, we encourage you to read our game diary. We are are we halfway through? How many more do we have to go? Do you have a sense oh, for I that? I, I think we're about halfway, if not almost there. And now uh, up next, you'll you'll if you're listening to this podcast when it posts. Um, what's her name? Not misinformation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is misinformation. I was yep. thinking oh, that's too easy. We've got her coming up. Uh, is there anyone coming up that you're kind of dreading? So there's plenty coming up, by the way, that I've never played. Isn't Iron Legacy like renowned for being unbeatable or super difficult, or am I am I overestimating him? He's not unbeatable, but he and the chairman are, are the two that that you'll probably have to play five, maybe six games before you notch a win, and it'll be really close. Uh, you know, they're they're both super super tough. Okay, um, and uh, so misinformation because I've never played Iron Legacy. I've never played against the chairman. I've actually never even played against Citizen, Citizen Dawn or the Aeneid. Mm. Yeah, the India that was a fun uh, forum game to run. Uh, and by have, fun, I, you're being facetious when you say I, that. Or? I, I am because the their mechanic is is super unique. They're a, a, a super villain team, and whenever one of their cards comes out, they have an icon on it, and you do uh, along with doing what's the card tells you to do you look on all of the India for any instance of that icon and do an additional thing. So. 
they will chain powers almost like a, a, a hero. It's, I guess it's their first iteration of a villain team deck. Um, and, and, you know, I mean, you can go from winning hand to leave a losing in, in two turns and, and sort of stand there with your hands on your side <laughs> wondering what happened. Uh, and how do you feel about misinformation coming up? I like her. She can be very frustrating until you get her flipped because you can't do anything to her. She's, you know, she's the secretary of, of the Freedom Five. You know, they they work with her and they don't know that she's got it in for them. So it, until you get her flipped, you, you you feel like you're sort of spinning your wheels. It kind of reminds me a bit of the, the Dreamer in that uh, you, yeah, you. It seems like it would give you maybe time to build up, um, mm-hmm. but the Dreamer is throwing things like creatures at you from the get go. Uh, misinformation. What kind of sabotage? Like she's just doing sabotage stuff early on, right? Right. I mean, she'll she'll occasionally. Um, I think my favorite card because it makes me laugh is is she'll call the heroes out to pull a cat from the tree, and instead of a cat, it's a ten <laughs> foot tall demon. Um, so you know, there's there's the occasional creature, but a lot of it is is ongoing destruction or uh, damage from from an ongoing card. Uh, you know, each turn until you can get rid of it. Uh, do you have a sense for where you'll be fighting misinformation? I probably want to try the Freedom Tower again. Where did you that? Perfect. Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. So. You mean probably want to try the Freedom Tower? That's exactly <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Good. All right. Well, uh, folks listening, look for that. Uh, that'll be posted uh, next week. Um, Jay, thank you for for hanging out and talking uh, packs and Sentinels with us. Uh, move you and your family out to LA, and Absolutely. you can play board games with us on on Thursday nights. It was a pleasure. This was a real treat. Thank you. Thank you. For listeners, uh, next week, I don't generally do a lot of like inside baseball talk about review scores and, and the process and stuff, because I tend to think that that's kind of tedious to hear. Um, but next week, we are going to do – we are going so deep into inside baseball because we have with us a guest that makes that so incredibly appropriate uh, in a way that I hope you will tune in to find out next week. So if you've ever wanted to talk about review scores or about the aggregates or how come I'm a jerk because I gave something three stars instead of four or what 60% means, our guest next week is going to be uniquely qualified to comment on some of that stuff. So I hope you'll join us then. Uh, My name is Tom Chick. I have been here with Jay Giddings. Uh, Check out our game diary for Sentinels of the Multiverse on quarter to three. And uh, we'll see everyone next week. Do you know who that is, Jay? No, I, I sure don't. Oh, you have a 12-year-old daughter. That's Lady Gaga. Oh, yeah, not not in my house. <laughs> 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 <laughs>